Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. So if we look back on last week, we were in Acts chapter 10. What we find is a guy by the name of Cornelius has this vision from God. At the same time, pretty much Peter is having this vision from God. Peter obeys the Lord and Peter takes the gospel to a place called Caesarea. And so while he is there, he meets with Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a centurion. So uh, Cornelius opens his home. He responds to the gospel. He receives Jesus Christ. His entire household is saved, converted. And what we see is people that were once upon a time labeled or categorized as outsiders are now getting saved, are getting born again, or being redeemed by the Lord, and it's causing a ton of rejoicing. Jesus made the statement in John 14 that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one's coming to the Father except through me. The gospel is being preached, and people, people, people are being saved. Now, Acts chapter 11, picking it up in verse 1. Now, the apostles... And the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of the Lord. When Peter came back to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men, you went to outsiders, you took the gospel on the other side of the tracks to people that are not like us. And they began to debate with him, and there was a lot of tension, if you will, going on. I cannot believe, Peter, that you would actually eat with and fellowship with and, and hang out with a Gentile. There's tension. Listen to what Peter said. But Peter began speaking and explained to them, saying, As I began to speak, as he was sharing the gospel and presenting Jesus in his risenness, the Holy Spirit, Peter says, fell on them just as he did on us at the beginning. And I remembered the words of the Lord, how he said that John the Baptist baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift that he gave to us, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Here's what's happening. We love reading Acts chapter 9. We read that story of Saul, the antagonist, the persecutor of the believer, all of a sudden he has this incredible experience on Damascus Road. The Lord speaks to him. Paul surrenders to the lordship of Christ, and he's going to be raised up to be a mighty warrior and proclamator of truth. We love that story. Very few of us have really given a lot of attention to Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. But here's what's happening. The gospel is expanding. We focus on one man's conversion, if you will, and we oftentimes do not study dialect or dialogue with the text in deeper detail of what God is doing 
at large with people. The gospel is expanding. It has moved from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the remotest parts of the earth. And Jews and Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. God is growing his church. God, through the working of the Holy Spirit, is breaking down walls. And God, listen to me, listen to me. God is integrating his church. God is breaking down racial, cultural walls that have existed, and God is saving people, people that were made out of the same mud and the same blood that maybe have a different color of pigmentation are coming to know Jesus. Stop, stop, stop. So the question I believe we have to wrestle with is, am I standing in God's way of growing his church? Am I standing in God's way of a racially, culturally diverse church being birthed by the Holy Spirit? Some of us that grew up in the South, back in the 60s, in the 70s, you would hear people use terminology like, well, this is where we go but they need to go to church over there and dr king said that the most segregated hour in america was 11 a.m on sunday morning god's purpose in salvation don't miss it god's purpose in salvation is to bring all races back together through jesus christ if you're a student of Scripture, in Genesis chapter 11, we read that the cultures, if you will, and the races split. Let me tell you why. Man and humanity, if you look back in Genesis chapter 11, they came together and they said, we're going to build this tower and we're going to reach up into the heavens and reach God. And, and they decided that we're going to build this tower. It would eventually by us be called Babel. And their reason for doing so was to declare their greatness. It was birthed out of pride. We're going to reach God on our terms. We're, we're going to reject God and ignore God deep down inside. We're going to create our own religion and we're going to get to God the way we want to. Genesis 11. If you look at verse 1 of Genesis 11, it says, At one time all the people of the world spoke the same language. But they said, Let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the heavens. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Verse 7, Then God said, I don't know where you're at today, but the comforting thing, no matter how chaotic and crazy and crippling this world seems to be around us god gets the final word then god said let's confuse the people with different languages then they won't be able to understand each other god created confusion god is not a god of confusion but he created confusion and division and separation here in genesis 11 don't miss it, because of pride. We hear that word thrown around a lot today, pride. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace 
to the humble. So God brings about confusion. God brings about separation. And as a result, there's different cultures and there's different languages now throughout the world. When you look at why God did what God did, you're not going to come to me the way you want to. You're not going to reduce me down to manageable terms. You're not going to ignore me and reject me. I'm God. And as a result of God bringing this division and separation, you've got to look and go, so how did man respond? Man continued to wallow in pride. Man continued to live a life of ego. I already said years ago that the word ego stands for edging God out. And that's exactly what we end up doing when we become egotistical and prideful. And, and man started to believe as a result of even being separated with different cultures and different races and different languages, man started to believe that my culture is better than yours. My race is better than yours. My language is better than yours. You see, the heart of pride is driven because of insecurities and inadequacies and feeling inferior. But the heart of pride it will always mask itself in such a way that says, I'm superior, I'm better than. Pride has destroyed so many people's hearts over the years. Pride will lead you to a place of devastation and ruins. Here's the crazy thing as you contemplate even the sovereignty of God. A lot of times God will give you what you think you want. God will let you chase after what you think is best for you. And there's a lot of us in here. There's a lot of us in here that thought that pursuing fleshly freedom or pursuing drunkenness with alcoholism or pursuing drugs or pursuing wealth or pursuing status or pursuing fame. We thought, that's what, I want to, that's what I want to accomplish. And God lets us chase it. That's what you won't go for it. And what we realize is once we taste it, it's nauseating. It's disgusting. It's empty. It leaves us more jacked up and broke than we were when we started off. Pride has crippled the human heart for 6,000 years. You get to Genesis chapter 12, God raises up a man by the name of Abraham. He says, Abraham, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise you up, brother, and I'm going to raise you up and use you to be a blessing, and I want you to be my messenger, and I want you to be my communicator, and I'm going to use you to speak to all these scattered people now that are in the land They've got different languages. They're, they're in different places now. And, and I would write this down. God's plan from the beginning was to bring all people together, not united in pride, but united because of their common need for God. If, as far back as we read, God has been wooing and pursuing and drawing. He's like, I want you all to know me. I want you to worship me. I want you to unite. When you read the book of Revelation and you get to chapter 5, chapter 5 of Revelation is God's plan for the church. Read it. Read it. It's people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue, united, worshiping and praising God. 
I saw around the throne all these nations, all these tongues, all these different colors, and they were worshiping and praising God. That is God's desire for each and every one of us. One people united worshiping the true God. So listen, 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 listen to me, please. We need, church, to show the world And I'm talking about our hood that we live in, neighborhood, community, city. We need to show the world what the kingdom of God looks like. We need to reflect heaven's heart to the world in which we live. One nation, one people group, blood-bought, redeemed by the Lamb of God, Rallying together, coming together, worshiping God, serving, caring, praying, crossing the street, and loving our neighbor. So the question we have to ask, am I standing in God's way? Am I getting in God's way? Do I have these inherited racial prejudice thoughts that continue to lock me up and tie me down? Do I have a superior or inferior mindset that's crippling me? Am I trusting in the gospel? When you start to read the book of Acts, we see this heart of the gospel. We start to see it unfolding. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost. People are coming together, speaking different tongues, but they're recognizable languages. They know what's being said. They're embracing the gospel. And where Babel brought confusion, Pentecost and the Holy Spirit brought clarity. Where man in his pride brought confusion, God in his love brought clarity. The church is being born. People are rallying together and coming together, and salvation is being experienced. Just a few weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 8, where the Lord speaks to Philip and says, go down that Gaza desert road. And when he gets there, he encounters an Ethiopian eunuch. You've got this pale-skinned brother sharing the gospel with a dark-skinned brother, and the brother responds to the gospel, and they're both now brothers in Christ Jesus. And he's like, man, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? In Acts chapter 10, you see the heart of the gospel. Peter, go to Caesarea. And as I said last week, what appeared to be just a small step of faith for Peter was a giant leap for Christianity because walls were being broken down. By the time you get to Acts 16, you will see Paul taking the gospel to Philippi. And as he goes into Philippi, it specifically mentions three people getting saved. It says a woman by the name of Lydia got saved. It says a slave girl got saved. And it says a jailer got saved. Let, 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 let me break that down. A woman, a slave girl, and a Gentile. Jewish men in that day would get up in the morning and they would pray, Lord, thank you that I'm not a woman. Thank you that I'm not a slave. Thank you that I'm not a Gentile. Bam! The Holy Spirit is breaking down walls. Pride. Thank you that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Did I mention that pride will sabotage the heart? 
that pride will take you down, that pride will eliminate. It will eliminate you of being any use for the kingdom of God, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection is being preached, and people, people are being saved. Not white folk, black folk, brown folk. People are getting saved. Women, the oppressed, Gentiles, Samaritans, less than, outsiders, getting saved. Now, let me spin you here, and I, w- I want you to stay with me. And yes, I'm very passionate about this teaching today. Because I think God can use this to unlock us and for us to become the church of the living God to Loganville and beyond. By the time we get to Acts chapter 13, the town of Antioch becomes the hub or the epicenter of the gospel movement. The church was birthed out of Jerusalem, but now it gets to Antioch. And from Antioch is where all these missionaries and the movement of God is going to take place from. Steve, I love this right here, brother. Acts chapter 13, verse 1, is a game changer. Luke lists the five church leaders in the church of Antioch at that time. He says among the prophets and the teachers of the church at Antioch were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaean, who was a childhood companion of King Herod. We'll read about Herod next week. And Saul. He lists five names. Saul and Barnabas are Hellenistic Jews. They have adapted to Greek culture. He goes, there's two of them. You look at Simeon, the black man. He was from what was back then the Sahara of Africa, which is now the modern nation of Niger. Then you look at Lucius of Cyrene, which is modern-day Libya, and then you see the name Manian, who was Herod's childhood friend. He was from Jewish aristocrat. Do not miss this. The early church, the church that Jesus planted, the church of God. You you remember Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now the church is on. When you read these five leaders of the early church, They're not just names. They're men with stories. They're men with heritage. They're men with culture. One man was from the Middle East. One was from Asia. One was from the Mediterranean. And two are from Africa. We can read through those names as if they're just some general name. But this was a diverse, culturally diverse group of guys that had come together because of their radical faith in Jesus Christ. As I read through this, I'm like, man, some of these guys, we never hear from them again. And you almost have to stop and go, then why would Luke include the five names here that would be canonized for years and years to come? Because I believe that God inspired him to include this to say, the church, my church that I founded is a racially, culturally diverse church. That's God's church. That's the church I belong to. Acts chapter 11, verse 26, when we get there, Cindy, it says, the disciples were first called Christians. 
in Antioch. Notice this. They were identified by their relationship to Jesus. They were identified by who they were in Christ, not by their races. When you start to study it, you have to stop and ponder going, all right, if they were identified according to who they were in Christ, how do we still use race language? And we do. The first group is, I, 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 and my people are white. I, I'm a, an American. I, we use our language. I'm black. I'm Hispanic. I, and we, we say, that's who I am. And then when we use this race language that can interfere with the true narrative, we'll go, but they, anytime we use the they word, even it's used here in this text, they are black or they are brown or they are, or for a black person could say, well, they are white or they, and so if we're not careful, we, we still use and mistreat language. We still somehow promote division. When, when you read this here, when you read this here, the third group is the only one that matters. They're not referred to as an African, an Asian, uh, a Mediterranean dude. They're referred to as believers in Christ. First call Christians. Who are y'all? We're Christians. The defining narrative had nothing to do with the color of their skin or the race that they were from. The unity they had in Christ shattered any divisions that race language could create. For you and I, who we are in Christ shatters any racial divide and tension. The world continues to try to communicate a narrative that would divide us, God's people. I don't know Sheila according to color. I know her as my sister in Christ. She don't know me as some white dude, redneck, they, them. She knows me as her brother in Christ. Yes, I mean, we've got to break down the walls. And the defining narrative that takes place here is it, it eliminates this I and we and they and them kind of language. Even, but even it's used here. And Acts 11, where Peter says, if God gave to them, the Gentiles, who's he talking to? Jews that are opposing him. If God gave to the Gentiles, them, the same gift that he gave to us, after believing in Christ, who was I to fight against God? Who was I to oppose what God was doing? Why would I want to stand in God's way? The defining narrative of who we are is based on who we are in Christ. God was in Christ saving all people from their sin. So from Antioch, the gospel begins to spread. It's going throughout the world. And as a result, when we read scripture, we will see phrases like this. People that have responded. People. They're fellow heirs. They're saints. They're members of the same body. They're partakers of the same promise. Who? We all are eliminating those first two categories and saying, that's my brother. That's my sister. 
We're, we're members of the same body. We're tapped into the same promises. God is our Father. That, that, that's who we are. Why? Because that is the heartbeat of heaven. That is the heartbeat of the gospel narrative. A culturally, racially diverse church is a powerful witness to the world. When brothers and sisters come together, it is a powerful witness to the world. When Paul builds up those believers in Ephesus of who they are in Christ, those first two chapters, he's drilling it. This is who we are in Christ. It's almost like Paul says, let me, let, let me, let me write something to y'all. We get to Ephesians 3, verses 8 through 10, and he goes, to, to me, the very least of all the saints. T to me, I'm the very least of all the saints. I was killing and attacking Christians. These other guys walked with Jesus for three years. I got cut in on the deal after the resurrection. To me, I'm, I'm the very least of all the saints. Grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Grace was given to me to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. This mystery has been hidden. God created it all, but it's been hidden. But now it's being revealed. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers, authorities, and all these heavenly places. You've got to stop and go, Paul, the least of these. What was the mystery? What was the manifold, uh, manifested uh, wisdom and power of God that was hidden? Paul, what was it? And it's this, a racially, culturally diverse church. I was given the assignment to go to the Gentiles. I was given this message where people have been divided for thousands of years could be brought back together. Because when God raised up Abraham, I want you to be my voice. I want to see people come to me, not in pride, but because of their common need for me. Jesus, there's not a Jew or Jew, a Jew or Gentile, male or female in Christ. You just come to Jesus. It's the heartbeat of the gospel. And, and do you know for some of us, based on our marinade and some of our framework and some of the inherited thought processes we've come from, this is a very uncomfortable chapter to read. This is a very, like, fatiguing chapter. Because if we haven't been living in this and practicing this, this is uncomfortable. I had a couple that was here for the first time in the first service, and they're like, man, that's a strong word. That's a great word. But if I don't practice it, what difference does it make? I want to live what I'm saying. My entire marinade, my dad was the original wall breaker. We broke down walls. In a, in, in a generation when it wasn't popular, my dad broke down the walls. He broke them down. I mean, my little league team, it was always about five or six white kids, five or six black kids. And we'd go to the ballpark, and we all sat on old sheetrock buckets on the back of the pickup truck. Praise the Lord, we didn't have seatbelt laws or anything back then. <laughs> Those softball teams my dad played on, 
They were always about five or six white dudes, five or six black dudes. And they were all brothers. They did construction together, whether it was hanging sheetrock, laying brick, pouring concrete, whatever. That's all I knew. But yet I dealt with some people, man, that came out of these inherited prejudiced thoughts. And they had this us versus them instead of, man, these are, these are my boys right here. We're in this thing together. Tony Evans said illegitimate racial divisions stand in God's way and oppose the truth of the gospel. To oppose something that has a divine stamp of approval on it is to oppose God. I don't want to get in God's way. When you have a group of diverse people that have a common love for Jesus, who have tasted and seen that the grace of the gospel is good, it speaks to the world. We've got to be about that, church. We've got to be about loving neighbor. We've got to be about taking care of people. That's who we are here at the Cross Loganville. I mean, we have some diversity here. This thing has got to grow. This thing has got to expand. God is glorified when all cultures worship him in spirit and in truth. This is God's church. Jesus is the head of this church. He delights in various cultures because he made us that way. And I can tell you that the gospel is not colorblind, but the gospel is color engaging. It's not colorblind. I didn't stand in line for this. You didn't stand in line for it. You didn't, you didn't stand in line for what size you were going to be. You didn't stand in line to be part Filipino, brother. But I will recognize you according to, oh, this is my shorter brother that's got Filipino blood. I'm like, that's my brother. <laughs> Terry, I don't recognize. I, I'm like, my brother, what's up? Peace, man. We just take care of each other. But when the church is functioning as the church and loving Julie as the church, it's not colorblind. Because every color God made is beautiful. But it's color engaging. It's color embracing. The ground at the foot of the cross is level for all people to come to faith. So, so I would say for me and for you, we've got to check our hearts. All of us. And we've got to confront any pride and prejudice thinking that maybe exists inside of us. All of us. Believe me, white folk can be prejudiced and black folk can be prejudiced. This ain't a one-sided coin. I've been around it. For some of us, oh, our, our race has become a pride thing for us. And we live in a fallen world, and if we're not redeemed and really walking with Jesus, we're going to continue to come up with things that we leverage to try to make us feel like we have some worth. That's humanity. I'm going to leverage something to try to communicate to the world. Well, I, I, I'm smart and they're dumb. Well, I'm rich and they're poor. Well, I'm a Georgia fan and they're an Auburn fan. R really? Einstein, how smart are you? How, how, how smart are we? The scripture says that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. What are you? I am a fool for Jesus. That's where I want to land. 
But inferior, insecure people were always trying to leverage something to feel like they, were, they matter. I mean, it, 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 racism and prejudice thinking is all birthed out of this fear and insecurity. And it's insane. Reality is, if I don't find my worth in Christ, if I don't find my identity in Christ, I will try to find it in something. And I'm going to promote it. Our identity must be rooted in Christ. Listen to me. Last week, I shared with you four facts. I'm like, here's some facts. Well, let me go on and just build on that. Here's the truth. Let me share with you some more facts. Here's some facts. You, you, You can take this to the bank. There is one problem. Our problem in this world is not racism. Our problem in this world is not poverty. Even those things exist in people. There's one problem, and the problem is sin. Sin has jacked up every human being from the get-go. All of us were born into the world dead in our sins, Richard, and in our trespasses. We were diseased when we came into the world. Hey, there's a problem. Yeah, there's a problem. It's called sin. And as a result of sin, we've propped up all this other stuff, leveraging pride and ego and many things, Spencer. And it's like, we got a problem. There's one Savior. We don't have a white Jesus, brown Jesus, red Jesus. There's one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. We all come to the Father the same way. Now, people can argue and debate whatever they want to, but I'm going to tell you there's only one race, and it's called the human race. That's the only race that exists on this planet today. God made all the way back to confusing and separating people. The reason we are the color we are is because God allowed these different races and colors to exist. How can you brag about that? That's stupid. There's one race. It's the human race. There's one hope. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's the only hope any person has. If Christ be not raised from the dead... When it comes to the question of destiny, what happens when I die? We all go back to the grave, to the worm buffet. We go back to dust. What's our hope? Resurrection. All of us. And there's one calling. Just one? Yes. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. He doesn't say... Just go share the gospel with people that look like you from your hood or area. He says, go into all the nations. All the nations. So then by the time we get back to Revelation 5, where all the nations and all the tongues and all the people are coming together, worshiping God, he goes, that's my church. That's my church. I want to be a part of his church. So... My encouragement and challenge is that you would ask the Holy Spirit to turn on his searchlight. Making these guys were quoting out of Psalm 139 today. And even the psalmist would say, search me. Expose anything inside of me that would hinder the gospel from really taking root in my life. That's the heart of it, right? Search me and show me if there's anything inside of me that is vile. And I would encourage you to do that. Or show me 
Am I doing anything of standing in your way of growing your church, of reaching people with the gospel? And if so, I encourage you to violently repent. Repent, and let's get our hearts aligned with the Lord. Again, Acts 9, ah, what a cool story. But I believe that chapters 10 and 11, as we broke them down over the last two weeks, Steve, are pivotal for what God desires his church to be. Let's pray.